Listen up, get ready, I'm not gonna take no more There's a revolution, a revelation going on in my soul Buckle up, get ready, we're not gonna sit back Hello all you friends, you neighbors, you family, citizens of the world I'm Michael James here in Chicago and we're bringing you another edition of the Live from the Heartland show This one would be number 127 since the pandemic began it's for the week of 11-19. We're broadcast on Saturday morning, the 19th, on our home base, WLUW 88.7. And um, we are recording, just recording, just so you know, a couple days early on the 16th um, for the 19th. So here we go. We're going to uh, start off with a good thing that happened uh, in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, six weeks before taking power. Brazilian President-elect Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva on Wednesday told cheering crowds at the UN Climate Conference that he would crack down on illegal deforestation in the Amazon, reinitiate relationships with countries that finance forest protection efforts, and push to host an upcoming World Climate Summit in the rainforest. Yay, Lula. Another good thing I just read in The Guardian uh, they report that the Mormon Church has voiced support for the Senate bill to protect gay marriage. Good move. An observation I had this week was leading up the election, it was all doom and gloom, particularly the stock market for the Democrats. But alas, a few days after the election, there was a report. The market went wild. It went up uh, based on that report that appears to say that the uh, depression, the recession is in decline. And um, it just occurs to me that, um, you know, there's a collusion between large corporations and the media to sow seeds and nurture disinformation and misinformation. Okay, that's my take on that. Uh, another, some more good news is the Republicans are still waiting on to secure the House. Uh, the Democrats have secured the Senate. And um, one of the another thing that uh, I'm going to point out here is that among many things on the legal front, uh, there was a student loan setback with a federal judge uh, putting it on hold. Uh, he was a Trump appointee. And I read today that in alternate, uh, it said the headline was clearly no jurisdiction. Constitutional law expert rips Trump judges ruling on Biden's student debt relief. So we'll see how that goes. Um, we are, we're all for debt relief for all Americans and all people in the world. Uh, in case you missed last week, we had uh, Don Rose with a lot of great election analysis uh, and projections. And we had uh, Johnny Bergen, who is uh, one hell of a performer. Uh, those interviews can be seen at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia slash uh, videos. And there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of these videos that you could watch if you so desire. Okay, things to look out for or be aware of. Herschel Walker, who is running for uh, the Senate seat in Georgia, uh, he uh, came out advocating for gas guzzling cars. Another thing I'd like to point out, this was reported about a week ago, Four U.S. Supreme Court justices attended the Black Tie Gala Dinner for the Federalist Society. Um, 
Uh, it's the first time the Federalist Society got together since uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade um, and Mark Sherman of the Associated Press reports Alito, Barrett, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh were in attendance at the group's 40th anniversary celebration. And he noted that is four-fifths of the majority of the court that overturned Roe. Controversial Justice Clarence Thomas was the fifth. He wasn't there. Um, three of the four justices in attendance were nominated by Trump. And uh, we are learning more and more about uh, Thomas's wife all the time and her right-wing activities. So just be aware of the Supreme Court and how it's not really acting in the interest of the people. A little more news here. Uh, world population has reached 8 billion as of November 15, 2022. That's a lot of people. Uh, on a sadder note, our hearts go out to the, uh, the three football players, uh, their family and friends who were killed at the University of Virginia this week. And we are also disappointed to hear that the, the Russians sent Lonnie Grenier off to a Russian prison camp. Uh, we will keep you posted on, on that. And uh, that's uh, our sports report for today. Uh, I'm going to read something that I looked up it, today. I look up every week now uh, what happened on the day we broadcast this on WLUW, what happened on that day in history. And it just so happens that November 19th, 1863 was the Gettysburg Address by Abraham Lincoln. He delivered a short speech at the close of ceremonies dedicating the Battlefield Cemetery at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Honoring a request to offer a few remarks, Lincoln memorialized the Union dead and, high, the Union dead and highlighted the redemptive power of their sacrifice. And he said, here we go. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether the nation, that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that the nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do so. He goes on a little bit more, but that caught my attention. Um, I like the part about all men are created equal. I think that people in this country should remember that. And um, I do wanna say that my great grandfather was wounded at Gettysburg. And uh, his wife came down and brought some cookies and whatever they were doing while they took a little break, uh, the bullet was unlodged from his body. Okay, uh, some good news here in Chicago, and we'll end up with this, is the workers' rights bill has passed in Illinois and will be part of the Illinois Constitution. And one last thing in the 49th Ward, uh, Jarvis Square, uh, there is now an open mic called the Jarvis Square Open Mic at the Jarvis Square Tavern. It's every Wednesday, 8 to 10. That's 1502 West Jarvis. So all of you people who are missing uh, the open mic at the Heartland, at the No Exit Cafe, et cetera, there's a new one up there in Jarvis Square. Okay, we're going to take a little short break, and we'll be right back. I know our first guest is ready and waiting, eager to go. It's David Orr, and he's going to give us his take on the election 
uh, elections to come and anything else he cares to talk about. We'll be right back with more Live from the Heartland. Here on the left end of your dial, 88.7 WLUW.org. Okay, well, we're back with more live from the heartland. Uh, we're recording on the 16th. This is for broadcasts. Uh, and streaming on the 19th of November in the year 2022. I'm Michael James, uh, your host for this edition of the Live from the Heartland. And I'm bringing on someone who uh, comes on and shares a lot of knowledge. He's done a lot of great work. He used to be the biggest vote getter in the county. Uh, the one, the only, David Orr. Good morning to you, brother. Uh, thank you, Michael. I get a kick out looking at us two old farts. <laughs> Anyway, Say that on the air? Okay. I don't know. Who's older? I'm a lot older than you. Not a lot, young man. I don't know. I'm going to be 81. How about you? I'm 78, so I'm right. Oh, you're a kid. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I brought you on because I thought each week I've uh, we had uh, uh, Clem Balanoff on. We had Don Rose on next week. Um, uh, we've got Dick Simpson coming on. And, you know, these elections, we it took years building up to it. Uh, we had them. And I thought you'd be a good guy to give us your take on where we're at, where we're going, what's going on. So how about starting off? You may as well start off with the Supreme Court, because um, that's the first thing you mentioned. And they played a big role in this election. Yeah. In my view, and I think we pretty much all agree now, the um, abortion uh, or reproductive rights was really critical, more critical than a lot of the media was giving it initially. What I find ironical is the right wing strategy. I'm talking about the Siri, the, the, the Koch brothers we've been working on for 30 years and some other Pulitzer Prize people behind the scenes. Their goal to make sure um, the rich never got hassled by Democrats was to make sure even if the Dems could elect a president, they couldn't do anything. And they're getting closer and closer to that goal. And so I think they were a little cocky with the right wing craziness around abortion. And so their strategy was, OK, the Supreme Court is not taking a position on this. That's up to state rights. Voting, suppression. Now that's up to state rights. Redistricting. All those are federal issues. It should be it's ridiculous to talk about elections as only local. But so I think for whatever reasons, they went too far and they set off a storm, which is great for us. I mean, I had so much to do, I think, with the victory. Um, so I'm just at least the one Koch brother still alive. I'm I hope he's realizing what fools they were. Uh, what's your sense of the Supreme Court and its future? Uh, I saw something, I think, on some station where they said it didn't look like anyone would be dying or uh, retiring while Biden was still in. Uh, any sense of that? Anyone uh, who, you know, might have a secret ailment that will take them out of the picture? No, and I don't mean to be uh, facetious here, but two of the five men on our Supreme Court are charged with, with, with serious uh, um, women abuse. I don't know what word, word rape or not, but serious abuse. Both got away with it. They're both on the highest court in our land. I, I don't say that, but I think we should hold the Supreme Court in reverence. Anyone who studies history, most of the history has been terrible. There's been good decisions here now and then. Brown versus Board of Education. But over the years, remember, they, they kept up slavery and or 
similar you know, racial stuff all the way up to 1954. We could go on and on. So the problem is, unless something dramatic happens, we're probably not going to be doing a lot about the court. But since the court is very political, okay, at some point, some of those folks, maybe Roberts, not most of them, uh, don't, you know, they don't really care about public opinion. But the more we do, and I think this election tells us a little bit how to do that, the more we do, it might increase the chances that the court might be a little nervous about their right-wing extremism. But otherwise, no, it doesn't look good, although with the Senate um, that the Democrats won, they can push in a lot of at least good other uh, court people. Well, that would be great uh, because it's really, you know, I, I used to like really trust the Supreme Court, uh, you know, root for them, you know, think that we were going to get a good decision. But it's been uh, it's been rough. And uh, I'm sorry, you know, I you started out by saying we should have uh, some reverence for the Supreme Court. And unfortunately, we don't. Um, well, yeah, I, 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 I maybe walk that back. I think we'll be careful. Um, again, for most of the history, they haven't done much good. OK, now there's been some good things over the years that were usually forced by the political hand. So that's what I'm saying. Uh, we need to keep that up if because uh, it's going to be really tough at the court. All right, let's uh, let's move along and uh, talk about the Democrats. You know, we uh, I never felt that we were in as much trouble as they were saying. I couldn't believe that the American people would be as bad as it was projected. Uh, I think people came around a lot. They divided their votes in some ways. Uh, who knows what's moving people? What's your take on the Democrats, uh, how we got to where we're at, where we're at, and where we want to go and what we got to do? Well, yes, I, it, it is important that there wasn't the big sweep. And it's important to think of some of the reasons, you know, why not? We talked about the abortion. I, I think um, what Democrats in general did probably best exemplified as in Michigan, where they, they connected freedom. So in other words, the freedom to vote, the freedom to uh, reproductive rights, uh, and they did really, really well in Michigan. And uh, so I think the extremism, uh, it's partly they lost it, okay? Uh, it's not so much we won it. They lost it by the, the craziness being the most obvious thing like Pelosi, uh, the notion that even Trump and senators and congressmen all make fun of Nancy Pelosi's husband being almost killed by some crazy guy with a hammer. I think I, that's more serious too than we've been told. So, but the point is, is, is their extremism bottomed out. So we have a chance. We have a chance now, even with, even if they take the house by a few votes and we have the Senate, whether it's 50, 50 or hopefully one more. Um, but my message though, to move on is, and one of our problems is the Democrats, I think, in our lifetime, Michael, we've seen how they're so desirous of the money. And, you know, politicians need money. It's hard to run these campaigns with billionaires throwing so much in there. But I think too often we lose because even though as a party, the Democrats generally do 100 times better than Republicans on working family issues. But when it comes to campaigns, we don't emphasize it because we're afraid of the big corporate dollars. I mean, years ago when Virginia lost, and not too long ago with this new right-wing Republican, who's a very attractive guy and may will be a presidential candidate soon. Um, you know, we didn't emphasize that uh, in Virginia, the Democrats had led to uh, somewhere around 200,000 people being put on Medicare and all the things they did to help working people. And why didn't we do that? Because we played up Trump too much. We didn't want to confront 
the people that give the big money. And I think that's a, that's a losing strategy in the long run. So I think the Democrats have to keep pushing the stuff, keep pushing the minimum wage. Uh, there's so many things for working people that get screwed every day and the government should be on their side. So that's, that's one big thing I think could overcome the structural deficit we have. One, the Supreme Court, and two, the idiotic notion we're a democracy. Uh, all I mean by that is you can't be a democracy if your most important elected body is decided not by population, but by states. And I know people think, well, that's, that's not going to change, but it's important to understand that. I'm not sure what the number is. I heard someone recently, 22% of uh, the Senate can block any major reform proposal because, you know, we all know what we're talking about. So if, you know, California with 40 million people has two U.S. senators and Utah with a little over a million has two, that's why we're in the pickle we're in. The good news is most of the issues, as we know, whether it's reproductive rights, whether it's the push to have pharmacy, some controls over the ripoffs from pharmacy, uh, gun control, we go on and on. Most of the public supports the issues that we call more liberal or progressive. But these structural deficits, and partly because the U.S. Senate, it's hard to overcome. So that's why I do think that economic message uh, is too bad in some ways what happened in Ohio. Because there, um, you know, the candidate for U.S. Senate, I think, did a really good job pushing that over and over again. Yeah, I thought he did better, to be honest. And, and, well, he didn't get any really help from the, the right. National Democrats, at least not enough. But so uh, I think there's some, some good future. The key to this one, though, is not so much what the polls showed or didn't show. They were off in many ways. It's turnout. Turnout is a whole game. If Trump can get a lot of crazy, upset, nervous white people, they win. If we can get more like we did, young people wait till two o'clock in the morning in some places to vote. Yeah. Women coming out in great numbers. How do we sustain that? That that is the future, one way or the other. Well, even let me even ask. Uh, you talked about the the medical advances that Virginia voted through for Medicare, and there were a lot of things that Biden got through. Uh, good things that the Democrats did, and I don't know how people get the message about those though. I'm not sure who's watching TV. The kids aren't watching the TV. You know, where do people learn about what the Democrats have done? I mean, I saw one commentator saying the Democrats really got to take credit for this election, really pump it up that we won it uh, and talk about those things that we do. How do we get that message out to more people? Well, uh, you know, one, we, we need to be uh, fighting for a better um, media. OK. <laughs> and secondly, the party, like I say, they don't emphasize all these things because they're worried about the corporate money. You should be bragging about the And when when people when the Republicans attack on inflation, you say, what's important about either inflation or the economy? Whether people getting improvements in wages, almost all the wage increases in the last several years are all due to Democrats and uh, minimum wage increases. We go to other things where the Democrats constantly push for, um, to end wage theft, which affects millions of people across this country uh, in more, more dramatic ways than people realize, or sick leave. There's just lots and lots of Americans do not have any sick leave. And I love talking about how, um, you know, these major big chicken factories, I mean, you know, very 
powerful ones, they come in and I've seen some of the testimony where they start asking about, um, well, you, you have sick time for your workers, don't you? And they say, well, no. And then your image in your mind is, okay, these people cutting up all these chickens and they, they got to go to work sick because they don't make that much money and they're sneezing all over the chicken yeah. you're going to get. And we wonder why people get sick. It's, it's that kind of thing. Take that message because I think that's a winning message. Um, you know, it, it, there's Republicans too that would support these kinds of things. So I guess my, my summary there is we got to keep up that economic message. We got to find ways to make people want to vote. Although I think we did a good job because people who experience that, who see, wow, we won, we did something. Um, there's, you know, lots of other things, but I'm, well, I'm that's good. upbeat at the moment. Well, we're going to have another election in a couple of years. And for those of us here at home uh, in Chicago, we're going to have an election in February. So I'm going to, I'm going to uh, tack over that way and ask you to talk about uh, the coming election and maybe a comment on the mayoral race, which now has Chewy in the run. That's Chewy Garcia, our old buddy. And um, also, I know you want to share with some information about some the Board of Review here in Chicago. So take it away, David Orr. Uh, where we start? Oh, I thought you were, I thought you were leading to a commercial or something. But uh, uh, let me just uh, the whole thing is a commercial. OK, let me jump ship just for a moment onto the border review. Um, sometimes the, the most significant gains we make is hard. People understand them and they don't understand them because smart politicians, unfortunately, like Madigan, devise these fantastic schemes that puts enormous amounts of money in their pockets. And I don't just mean personally, but I mean, like in the party pockets. Um, and people can never understand who to blame, okay? Uh, what, one of the things that I've been working on with good government and I wanna keep working on is, I say called tax fairness, tax justice, okay? I think there's a future there. Um, but um, Madigan and others created this system. Uh, first of all, you know, he put burials in the board review. You've got the assessor's office, right? Which uh, determines assessments and gets a lot of uh, noise, okay? Um, so step number one is we were able to beat Berrios, who had been at the Board of Review and then went to become the assessor. Amazing, amazing victory. Okay, But the way this was all devised by Madigan and others, you had a couple bites at the apple. You could either you know, win with your clout and money uh, a decrease in, in basically your property taxes through your lowered assessments from the assessor's office, and if you didn't like you got there, you go to the Board of Review. The Board of Review is three people elected countywide. Most people don't know anything about them. But so another bite at the apple besides Fritz's victory, both four years ago and this last time when he had serious right-wing opposition, um, was the Board of Review, we elected this young woman um, uh, for, and took Michael Carbonacci's spot. Michael Carbonacci was someone that Madigan had determined to be moving way up um, and that's when he ran for, uh, you know, county clerk, not county clerk, but circuit court clerk. Uh, but he failed at that. You know, nice enough guy, but he was playing ball with Barris and others. And I know there's a lot of news in the last couple of days. The Board of Review is still not a reformist institution, but with Samantha right. Steele joining it, that's where we could make a lot of progress. Uh, but what they did is Fritz had done all this stuff, Fritz Kagey, in which if the assessments that he did stayed, the vast majority of taxpayers in Cook County would have had less taxes to pay. But the Board of Review came in with their information just in the last few days 
and basically changed all that by giving lots of big commercial breaks like Trump Tower breaks. Now, when they give tens of millions of dollars in breaks to big commercial downtown, the rest of us pay it. Okay. Again, it's not that complicated, but people don't understand who to blame, which is exactly why Madigan created what we did. Um, so anyway, we we're making some uh, good attacks there. And yesterday, all the papers were critical. The Sun-Times did a nice editorial. Today's Tribune attacked the Board of Review. Cranes did a good job. So we have a possibility. We cracked that nut, and we can make amazing advances in fairness to taxpayers. Well, that's good. And I, uh, you know, I was looking forward to my next tax bill because I thought it was going to be significantly lower, but I'm still <laughs> waiting, and it might be higher. David, we're running out of time. Do you have any real, like, uh, just a minute on? Uh, the coming race, that we going to get more progressives when we have the election in Chicago? Are we going to get a different mayor? You got any take on this? Um, well, not, not this is significant. We're going to get new people. That, funny, the word progressive is so out of, it means so many things to different people. I mean, yes. there's some people that consider themselves the most progressive who work with Berrios and Madigan and attack Fritz. And so the label doesn't mean a lot, okay? There's a lot of people considered way left, but like I say, they play all the games and so forth. So um, uh, I do think we're probably, we're gonna get some good people, um, but the city council is still gonna be a problem. The city council is still not a very good lot, period. Um, but I do think we can get some, some that are better than what are there now. The mayor stuff is totally up in the air, um, you know, because Chewy's enter. Chewy has a very good chance of both getting the runoff and winning it. Yeah, uh, people probably shouldn't sell the mayor too short because, um, you know, there's still some polls that hold, have her kind of hanging in there. The question is who gets in the runoff. One of the things that I'm concerned about is um, because it's a very racial game in Chicago. Unfortunately, there's only yeah, one white candidate. And that's Paul Vallis. And Paul's never been a, uh, a fan of mine. And he's jumping to the, uh, some of the right wing stuff around police and other things. So keep this in mind. Uh, and I, it's probably dangerous to say this on the air. But if Harold was alive today, I guarantee you what he would say about all the African-Americans running for office. He said, what the F are you guys doing? Are you nuts? You want to end any possibility of a, of a black mayor, um, to put it kind of bluntly? Well, it's kind of crazy. Now, it may change. Brandon Johnson may pick up some with some of the big endorsements, although Brandon doesn't do himself any favors when he acts like he's the anointed progressive and he's the chosen one. Um, and the CTU, you know, kind of beats people up to, to get there. So I think uh, he's a, an attractive guy, smart guy, but he needs to not, don't use the same tactics the CTU used if you want to be able to move up. What I'm getting at though is that uh, some of the African-American candidates will fade. Willie Wilson will stay in there, but he won't be mayor. So that what the question I'm pointing out here is if Chewie's able to pick up a sizable bunch, which I think he will, it's possible no African-American could get in the runoff. Okay, if they divided up so much and Lori didn't do too well, you might have your runoff between, you know, Chewie and uh, Paul Vallis, which I hope Chewie will win, but that's a little tricky now. So. Well, Dave, we're going to have you back. We'll be talking, you know, over the next two months, we'll be talking a lot about our uh, local race here. I want to thank you for joining us on Live from the Heartland, and I'll see you in the neighborhood, who knows, later today, maybe yeah. tomorrow. 
but not too far off. Are you still going to be showing your photos on Saturdays? <laughs> uh, the Sundays I've been doing it, but I, uh, okay. it's getting too cold out there. I'm uh, reorganizing my basement so people get a hold of me. They want to talk to me about my photography. Thanks for coming on, brother. You bet, Mike. I'll see you. Hey, everybody, we're going to take a short, very short musical break, and we'll be back with our Alderwoman in the 49th Ward, the another incomparable person from up in this neighborhood, uh, Maria Haddon. Stay tuned here on WLUW 887, WLUW.org. Hey, hey, we're back. I'm Michael James, back with more Live from the Heartland for the week of, uh, Feb what is it, November 19th. And I'm really honored now, once again, to have another incomparable person who would, lives up in the 49th Ward. It would be our alderwoman, Maria Haddon, who is just out of a city council meeting and somewhere parked alongside the road. Good afternoon, Maria. <laughs> Good afternoon. You, uh, you're catching me halfway home, so I'm at Montrose now. Oh, good. Well, it, that's my old neighborhood, Uptown. I, I love it almost as much as Rogers Park, but not quite. Anyhow, Maria, you've been in city council. Uh, there was a lot of attention uh, on social media and other places about uh, a meeting that uh, you were having in the city council where you did not get a quorum uh, to mm -hmm. go forward on a, a project around the homelessness situation. Why don't you fill our listeners, our viewers, your constituents and others in on what's going on with you, the city council and the homelessness in Chicago. Sure. Um, and thanks, Michael. So um, we're seeing, you know, more and more people experiencing homelessness. We've been uh, seeing a real increase in this over the last year. Um, this has been, um, you know, services for people to help them uh, stay in their homes, to help them uh, you know, with wraparound services to address barriers to, to being housed. Um, and, you know, and then, of course, housing people. The funding that the city has had for this traditionally is very low, uh, very low funding. And we don't have a dedicated funding source, right? Um, so there's not like a lot of money that comes from uh, other governmental agencies either. What we have been able to do with CARE funds and ARPA funds um, and COVID relief dollars, right? The Chicago Recovery Plan. Um, we've devoted hundreds, $200 million um, to fight homelessness. And um, it's led to some really great opportunities for different programs, like a housing first approach, um, having permanent supportive housing, doing rapid rehousing events. We have our third rapid rehousing event happening at Tui Park this week, um, where we'll have another 20 units of housing, making it, we'll be up to 84 um, people that we've been able to house in the last year just in Rogers Park alone. And these types of programs and the wraparound services given to people to help with employment, um, uh, to help with mental health or physical health services, um, to help with substance abuse uh, counseling, right? All of these things have been uh, possible because of the federal funds. I've been working with the Bring Chicago Home Coalition, who for years have been pushing to um, uh, an effort to increase this one-time sales tax and our real estate transfer tax to increase it, to make sure that we could provide um, a dedicated source of funding 
for homelessness prevention services that would come from the sale of luxury uh, real estate. Um, so, you know, candidate Lightfoot in 2019 was a big supporter of this, um, worked with the coalition, came into office. They had a falling out, a disagreement on how they wanted to use the funds. And the issue uh, just has stood still since 2019. So myself, many other members of the Chicago Progressive Reform Caucus and Council have been working on this most closely recently. It's been with Alderman, uh, Alderman Matt Martin um, and the coalition. And we were trying to go around um, the, the state piece where we haven't had much luck and to put a ballot measure on the municipal ballot so that Chicago voters uh, on the February 28th municipal ballot could decide, should we increase the real estate transfer tax to create about $168 million is what we estimate in dedicated funds in order to combat homelessness in our city. Um, so it's a convoluted path to, to get to be able to make this uh, change on our own without the state's help, um, but we can use our home rule authority to do it, but only if we meet certain requirements. Um, so one of those requirements is what we were trying to meet this Monday, and that was to have a public hearing. So um, we called a special city council meeting. We needed just a quorum of older people to show up to the special city council meeting in order to convene the meeting and then to let public comment happen. So people could talk about whether they supported this, whether they were against it, um, and all the things in between. And so um, this is um, a, pretty, a pretty low barrier for city council members to show up. We called the meeting at 9 a.m. People had multiple weeks to know. Um, and we had enough commitments of people that both myself, my colleagues, and the coalition had called, people who said and promised that they would be there because they knew it was just a hearing. And there's not a city council member that I've talked to yet that doesn't agree that homelessness is an issue, right? Every ward is experiencing this, and we need some solutions to it. And those solutions cost money. Um, but um, over the weekend, um, some people were called. Some people were encouraged not to come. Some people were told that they were going to be having to take a vote and then other things that deterred them from showing. And so we only had 14 people at 9 a.m. Um, we managed to, to get a recess, um, even though the mayor wanted to adjourn the meeting. We managed to get a recess until 1130 um, when we knew because of finance committee that we would have enough older people like right there and able to um, meet our quorum. And so in a pretty dramatic uh, playing out of events, we ended up with 25 older people who showed up at 1130 for quorum and uh, several older people who were present and just stayed in the hallway, just stayed in the next room um, and refused to come in to be counted for quorum. Um, so um, it was disappointing. Um, I think the city should be disappointed in, in city council. Um, the mayor wasn't there for the uh, reconvening. Um, so uh, Alderman Riley chaired, but um, if the mayor had even been there, we would have been at quorum and we would have been able to have the public hearing. So not meeting this requirement and running out of time, um, you know, this really kind of kills the legislative path that we've got for this ballot um, cycle coming up for the municipal general. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to continue to work on this issue um, because whether you agree that we should increase the real estate transfer tax or not, we still need to come up with about 150 to $200 million a year in order to like really adequately um, tackle the issue of homelessness in our city. Uh, well, this is really too bad. Uh, 
Maria Haddon, can you give us a hint, maybe why you think the mayor has reversed her position from when she was a candidate and making alliances with people to now that she's in power, so to speak, and uh, kind of pissing off not only the police, but the progressives? Uh, why do you think she threw into the ring when she's going to have a challenge in the race from Chewy and others uh, that she would put this on the table, you know, kind of an anti-homelessness uh, reformation that we we all kind of would love to have happen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's my understanding that at least in 2019, the big point of disagreement um, after she committed to this, the big point of disagreement was she didn't want all of the new revenue generated to go to homelessness prevention services. Now, when we talk about this, it's a pretty wide range of things, right, that would fund different departments. It's youth outreach, right, because about a third of our, our residents experiencing homelessness are young people. It's mental health care. It's rental assistance. It's, you know, creating housing and paying for housing. It's social services. Um, but in 2019, apparently, she didn't want 100% of the revenue to go to homelessness prevention. Um, she wanted it to be open so that she could use the funds for other things like, you know, filling our budget deficit. And that was uh, what I understand the big point of disagreement was the break between her and this coalition, the Bring Chicago Home Coalition. Um, I don't know why she hasn't come back to it. Um, we've brought it up, the Chicago Progressive Caucus, we've brought it up every budget cycle as a way to get progressive revenue, one of the very few routes that we've got. And if we could just come together as a city council and the mayor on this, we could have a solution, um, especially when we've been seeing over this last year, look at the way real estate prices have been, right? Like we have left possible revenue on the table. And right now, a lot of the reasoning um, that we hear from the administration is we're, we're funding homelessness prevention like never before, which is true but we're going to run out of these federal funds, right? And so um, it's difficult to understand why we're only thinking about the next six months, right? Instead of thinking about the next two or three years. Um, but I imagine um, at least the, the spin that we've heard from her and her allies is that this is a, this is a property tax increase. Um, and of course, that scares everybody off at a time when property tax bills are coming out, when property taxes have gone up. Um, and so I think that's important for, for kind of your viewers and listeners to know that it's not a property tax increase. It's a sales tax and an increase on an existing sales tax on luxury property sales. So um, I look forward to continuing to work with colleagues and maybe our, some of our state partners um, and finding a real solution to this um, and encourage other folks like this is, this is one of those things where we all agree on the problem. And there's a lot of agreement on the amount of money we need to adequately address it. And so um, to have folks, you know, we're bringing a solution that's been well vetted, that had been previously supported, that we've spent years on, and to just not have any willingness to compromise has been really, really challenging. So I, I don't understand it uh, myself, Michael. Well, we're going to be watching it close. It's kind of a double blow in favor of the rich on this show today. You're talking about the failure to get through this transfer tax to uh, fund uh, the great needs around the homelessness question, not only in our ward, but throughout the city. And David mm -hmm. Orr talked a little bit earlier about the Board of Review coming in and reversing Fritz Cahey's, uh, the lower taxes on homeowners, higher taxes on 
rich residential places. So it's not a great day for the little guys and girls today. No, they keep shifting the burden. They keep shifting the burden um, on working class people and poor people. And um, uh, I, I don't know why people insist on um, making these changes because they're breaking us, right? Uh, you can't maintain this system with um, uh, with people who uh, people who can't pay out, right? You can't get blood from a turnip. Uh, no, you can't. Or a parsnip yeah. or a rutabaga. <laughs> Anyhow, Maria Had, it's great to have you on. I'm going to just throw one last question at you. It's something we'll probably be hitting you up with over time. Where are you at on the mayor's race? You got any insights, any projections, anyone you want to come out for? <laughs> um, not at this time. So, you know, 48th Ward, um, like they're independent alder people. And so I've, uh, you know, kind of committed to working with Network 49, our independent political organization. I know that they intend to have a, a thorough endorsement process kind of after the ballot is set. So um, I'll be looking to looking to them um, to kind of see where the ward wants to go. And right now, the, there's plenty of mayoral uh, time to come. But right now, I got to focus on my own race. I'm filing petitions on Monday. Uh, I turned in a few names. I don't know if you need more. <laughs> uh, Maria Haddon, we love you and we love the work you've been doing. And we want to thank you for taking time out of your very busy day on your way home to beautiful Rogers Park from downtown Chicago. And we will see you in the neighborhood probably before we see you anywhere else. Thanks again. Sure. Thank you, Michael. Okay, you are listening to Live from the Heartland. And uh, we are here for a few more minutes. I think uh, Lynn Orman, who uh, booked some great musical talent for this show is coming on to give us a little report on what's going on musically around town. So we'll take a short musical break. We'll be right back with more Live from the Heartland. back with more live from the heartland and this was once a tequila bottle but now it's great water from the great lake michigan nurturing myself when i uh get ready to talk to our wonderful music producer lynn orman weiss uh who has her own show on a sister station wnur uh she can tell us about that but lynn is going to give us a little uh musical report what's going on around town what people might want to know, some things coming up. So let's take it away. Hello, Lynn Orman Weiss. Hey, Michael. That's, <laughs> I thought that was tequila, actually, either that or vodka. I'm like, what's in that bottle, Michael? No, it's just water. <laughs> anyway, I'm hoping I'm going to see you tomorrow night at the Skokie Theater because Johnny <coughs> Bergen is going to be there. Yeah, for those who are just tuning in, we had Johnny Bergen, used to be rocking Johnny Bergen, uh, he's coming yeah. to town. He'll be at the Skokie Theater. Uh, well, the day after we record this, two days before oh, it's on air. Right. So uh, you, you'll be able to see it at youtube.com slash heartland media slash videos. <laughs> but um, we got other stuff to talk about. What else we you got, do? Man? It has been it has been a whirlwind of a week in music and. Um, <clears throat> Yesterday was the Grammy announcements. And the good news about that is a ton of indie artists and Chicago artists have been nominated. So I'm really excited to report a lot of our guests 
who have been on with us have been nominated. Jim Ginsburg is producer of the year in classical for his label, Sade. And I think he has about five nominations. Jim always has um, a lot of nominations. And of course, that's the son of Ruth Ginsburg, our beloved, beloved Ruth Ginsburg. Oh, and we and did have him on the show. We did. So we if did. someone goes to youtube.com slash Heartland Videos and types in Ginsburg, they'll probably find our interview with him. <laughs> it's really great, you know, coming out of Chicago and um, chamber music and all of the great Will Liverman. There's some really great artists that are on his label, which is right just south of Rogers Park in Edgewater, I believe. And um, then great Ward. <laughs> yep. That, whose ward is that? That would be the 48th ward, which was it Harry is. Osterman. It's going to be someone new. Right. Wow. Well, gosh, you know, I mean, really, we're just on the heels of this election. I have actually been asked to produce a blues for blues in Atlanta for Warnock. Oh, so good. we're Maybe we'll uh, go to Atlanta. <laughs> I know. Right. We've. Use all the help we can get. And there's some incredible music and musicians out there. And so I've been in conversation. That's what I've been doing for the last 48 hours. I wondered where you were. Yeah, try. I'm sorry. <laughs> Between that and the Grammy announcements yesterday, um, Shamika Copeland is the only female. I don't think we've had her on. We're going to have to have her on. Um, she's quite an extraordinary musician. She is Johnny Copeland's daughter one of the daughters of the blues. She's been singing since she's 12. And she is nominated for Done, uh, Come Too Far. And it's her fifth nomination, John Hahn and um, Kimbrough. I forgot his first name, but he is like, he's extraordinary. Charlie Musselwhite and was nominated for Mississippi Sun, uh, Taj Mahal. And of course, our very own Buddy Guy is nominated. This will be his... his well, if he wins, it'll be his ninth win. And in out of Wilmette, a young musician I've known for a while, her name is Wendy Morgan, and she has a um, nomination in children's music, which, you know, I want to say Chicago has pioneered the children's category because of Ella Jenkins, who, thank God, is, you know, still with us, and I get to talk to every Friday, but for all of our listeners out there, because we had Ella... Um, at, the, at the Heartland Cafe a number of times, and she is doing well. She is 98 years old, and, um, you know, all I have to do is get on uh, a Zoom with her and sing Besame Mucho or Shabbat Shalom, <laughs> or you'll sing a song. And uh, we sang Cab Calloway songs the other day, so she is doing <laughs> Heidi, Heidi, Heidi Ho. She's just, she's, she is my hero, really. Um, but anyway, this album is called Into the Little Blue House with Wendy Morgan. And it's um, featuring Billy Branch and Mike Wheeler and his little nephew Chico are in it. And it's really, Dave Spector is in it and um, promises to be a good contender for the children's category. So nice. that's pretty, pretty exciting. And again, I said Shamika is the only woman in the blues category. How that happened? There were a lot of great releases this year. Um, and um, let's see what else is going on. Win Noel, who you had on, 
Yeah, a few weeks ago. We know the, uh, what was the name of the blues? The Rockin' Souls. The Rockin' Souls, yeah. Yeah. I liked Wynn Knoll. She was a good interview. The music was great. Well, the judges judges liked her, too, a lot. Out of, um, I think there were eight bands, and she walked away with um, winning the challenge for band, for best band, and she's going to be going to Memphis. Well, tell us uh, what this cat, this is not, uh, before you were talking about the Grammys, this is I was not talking about the Grammys. She's this got is... a nomination from the Grammys. No, this not yet, not yet. Okay. But I see that coming. She is an extraordinary songwriter, and uh, maybe we can pot up that one song that we have a video of Drinking Buddy. It's really great. Um, and what I'm asking you, what is the award from? What did she win? The award, well, she won the challenge for um, Windy City Blues Society. She will go on to compete okay. with three, 299 other bands from across the world in Memphis um, on January 25th. What is that event called? It's called the IBC, the International Blues Challenge. Okay, that's Memphis. what I meant. Yes, and people come from all over the world, and uh, we're really happy that she's representing Chicago. We know. Which is great. Yeah. We and know she'll be, and the Rock and Souls. And the Rock and Souls on uh, November 19th at the Old Town School of Folk Music. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, I think there's a wait list for Patty Smith. Um, Patty Smith is going to be at the Old Town School of Folk Music. And then right after that is Erwin Helfer. And um, they're going to be celebrating his birthday. And the Sirens Music label, which is Steve Dolan's label, also has a number of gospel acts and... Um, that should be a really great, great show at the Old Town School of Folk Music, too. And then Patti Smith will be speaking at the Humanities Festival on Sunday on the 20th. So there's a lot going on. I could I could. So just... So Patti talk. Smith is on the 19th, which is the day this first gets broadcast. That's right. Saturday. She's playing there Saturday, Saturday night. And then Sunday, she's doing another event over there. So if you're listening on the radio... Which yes. is the first way to get this, unless you get the early announcement on Friday night. Which is um, great. Uh, you could go see Patty Smith over at the Old Town School. Absolutely. absolutely. What else you got, Lynn? Any other uh, shows coming up that people should know about or musicians to take note of? Well, there's a lot of musicians to obviously to take to take note of. I know that Space in Evanston, we should go see this, Michael. Um, and Hal, your kids would probably love her. Her name is Danielle Jeray. I love her. She's an indie artist, just um, a phenomenal singer-songwriter. And um, I think she's somebody to watch, somebody that's going to be really hot. Um, you know, the indie, kind of that indies music, genre has become pretty pretty significant you know i mean i love joni mitchell and all of my artists who are my heroes there's a lot of young young women artists out there who are are really up and coming that i really like a lot well this has been great lynn and speaking of uh up and coming uh artists this not so much a musician but a painter i noticed that you have behind you uh nicholas barron picture and uh just tell us a little bit about nicholas one more there time there we go he's nicholas a rogers Park guy and yep. we, uh, we've had him on the show a lot of times and 
He has a studio not too far from where I'm sitting right now, and I'm on my way over there in the next few days to check him out. Good, good. Well, it's not summer anymore. I mean, he's had the opportunity to, he's been painting in his alley. Now we're talking about Sheridan and not, it's not Juneway Terrace. Is it Juneway? Yeah, yeah it's it right there the curve. Uh, in the, on the curve. And it is just, he, he is quite extraordinary. He's got about, probably about 600 paintings in his studio. Many of them are like this. Oh, and he did a painting during COVID of, um, of George Floyd that is going to be, ha is hanging um, in a new exhibit that will be at the Field Museum. So the Field Museum is curating a show on what artists were doing during COVID. And Nicholas did this incredible painting of uh, George Floyd. So I he saw, also I had saw a picture of it. It's really something did else. Did you see it? It's something yeah. else. And he also just did a Louis Armstrong uh, photo that I believe is over either at the Fulton Market or um, one of the jazz showcases has been really, um, really extraordinary. So he's painting with, he does a lot of these um, paintings of great artists with uh, another guy named Previn. And you could see them all. I mean, you could just stop at his studio, you know, and hang I'm gonna and do hang that. I'll make, a, I'll make a little movie. <laughs> yeah, you should. Absolutely. Okay. Lynn Orman, this has been great. I'm thank you for filling us in and getting us some musical talent. And hopefully we can get uh who knows who you'll bring in next week on the show. Well, I know, you know what? If anybody wants to come hang out with me on Monday, the 21st, I'm gonna be at a place called Angelo's for a, a band that I really love called the Wind Gypsies. I'm gonna be celebrating my birthday. So oh, oh I'm coming. Will you come? Forget Monday Night Football. I'm coming to your birthday party. <laughs> okay. okay. Thanks, Michael. You are, uh, send Hal any pictures you have that you want him okay. to throw out on this for the video version. Uh, I want to thank everybody who uh, helps this show. Uh, Josie Stoller and all the people over there at WLUW, uh, Katie Hogan, Lynn Orman Weiss, Tom Clark, Emilio Davis, and Hal James. And of course, our guests today, David Orr, Maria Haddon, and Lynn Orman. And we will take you out with a little bit of music by Wynn Knoll. And um, we'll be back next week. And we have uh, Dick Simpson, a former alderman, a professor, a guy who's very sharp on the politics, talking to us more about elections, politics, the mood of the country. Stay tuned. The next show will be coming up, whatever it may be. I think it's going to be the Gospel Hour. And uh, that's if you're listening on the radio. And for the rest of you, we'll see you next week. You can always see this version of Live from the Heartland and many others at youtube.com slash heartlandmedia.com. Do good in the world. The world needs all the good that you do, that I do, that Lynn does, that Al does, and all we do together. All power to the people. Right on. I can't drink with you.
no more awful fights, and no more bedside cries, no more DUIs. Sometimes.